Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today, I have one ask for you. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, if you enjoy the show, if you have, or if you're learning anything, please do me a huge favor and share the show with one person. This goes a long, long way in helping us to further this mission of helping men to be better versions of themselves, for themselves, for them, for their families, for their communities. I cannot thank you enough for your support. All right, so today's guest is none other than Jeremy Neves. Jeremy is a founder, investor, and consultant who spends his professional time starting and scaling businesses and teaching others to do the same. In 2009, he founded Excite Satellite, which employed over 1,000 people over a 10-year period and generated over $70 million in sales before he made a successful exit in 2019. He has since consulted a number of businesses, most notably a company that he helped grow revenue by $90 million year over year. Jeremy is a powerful, compassionate, and inspiring leader who creates trust by being real and honest. He's also part of an undercover team that's responsible for rescuing children from sex trafficking around the world. One thing I really appreciate about Jeremy is his passion in helping all people recognize that they are valued, they are loved, and they are remembered, whether here or abroad. Jeremy chooses every day to reach for his potential by living life to its fullest and helping others do the same. And as a young dad in the middle of an adoption journey myself, I really enjoyed this opportunity to hear Jeremy tell his own adoption story of bringing home his son, Baylor. But on top of everything else, Jeremy is a wonderful man, husband, and father, and I'm so blessed to have him join us here on the show. So here's my conversation with the Jeremy Neves. All right, and we are live. Uh, my name is Brendan Wall. Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. Today we have a guest that I'm so excited to talk to, the one and only Jeremy Neves. And uh, Jeremy, I want to tell you, you know, straight from the jump, I'm a huge fan of yours. So I love your story. Um, you know, you kind of went against the grain of what I guess traditional culture in, in the United States tells you what you quote unquote should do. And uh, you started this business, you know, at, at a young age, early 20s, you grew it, you hustled it for 10 years, and you had a successful exit from that. And, and following you on Instagram, <clears throat> somehow I, 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 well, well, I know this, that you have somehow managed to just keep your family what matters the most at the root of your life. And that's very apparent. I told you that when I first reached out, reached out to you, there's no doubt the level of pride that you take in, in, uh, in your role as man, husband, and father of your family. And when I think about, you know, when I started this podcast, Dad the Man, what I think about when I think of what Dad the Man means, it's these guys that, you know, we, we know and we love them for what they do, right? So we know about them, uh, you know, for some level of success that they've had professionally, but underneath it all, you know, what they're really great at. They're setting the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. And you fit that bill to the T. Um, so, and for that reason, that's why I'm so pumped to have you on, my man. So, uh, Jeremy Neves, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Excited to be here with you, man. I really appreciate that. 
Awesome. All right. So we'll kind of dive right in. We'll do some warm up questions. Nothing too crazy. Uh, get the juices flowing and then we will uh, we'll jump into your story a little bit more. Um, cool. So I'll ask you first right off the bat. Are you a morning routine person? Yes, uh, I'm not a very rigid morning routine person, but, um, you know, my morning routine is, is simple. I wake up every morning. Uh, kiddos are up. Um, I try and get to the gym when I'm at the gym. If I don't go to the gym right first thing in the morning, I go in like the early afternoon. Um, but I go to the gym and when I get to the gym, my routine is to get on the treadmill and read 10 pages. I get on, just walk at a pace that I can still continue to read, get some of that personal development going. Uh, get my workout in, come home, shower, do a cold shower. Um, and then every, every time I start my work day, I, I start with like in the morning hours, I have the most energy. And so I start with the things that are hardest, um, whatever call it is, conversation I need to have, um, email I need to write, spreadsheet I need to tackle, like the thing that's the biggest, hairiest thing that I have for the day. Mm -hmm. um, that's the thing that I start with first. And that's, you know, that's, that's what keeps me together. I will say, and, and a lot of people on social media have seen, I had a, a streak going of um, meditation every single day. I got up to about 300 plus days and wow. I lost that streak. Um, it was a devastating streak and it's actually been hard. It's crazy. After 300 straight days, you'd think, okay, there's a, there's a habit there, whatever else. But yep. I think the streak was keeping me alive uh, in doing it. <laughs> and so when the streak died, like it's hit and miss now. And so that's part of the morning routine that I want to get back into for sure. Gotcha. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Meditation is, is huge. I haven't, I've never really established my own, just like very strict structured. I think, you know, practice of what, when people think about what meditation is for me, I'm a big fan of the long walks, throwing the AirPods, throwing a good podcast and just get away, wander for a little while. Um, that's uh, that's kind of always been an active meditation for me, but it's huge having that space. It's, it's, it's incredible what it does for you. For sure. Sure. Um, all right. Next question for you. Any hobbies for you outside of everything you got going on with um, what you're doing for work now and with your family and everything? What are some hobbies that you like to do outside of those things? Man, I have a lot of a lot of things that I like to do. I love being outdoors. But one of the hobbies I'm probably most excited about right now or that I'm, you know, enjoy getting out to is golfing. Um, nice. I didn't start golfing until later on in life. But um, golf is just one of those things that like challenges my my mindset. You got to be focused on what you're doing, not what you don't want to have happen. You got to have vision. Yep. You got to have good self-talk. I mean, uh, and then you're out in nature and and uh, kind of away from the hustle and bustle. And so that's one of my favorite hobbies right now is, is golfing. But really, I love anything outdoors. I got a Harley. I uh, love sneaking away on that and uh, going out on the lake. And when it's winter here in Utah, the snow is awesome. Getting up on the slopes. I just started going mountain biking. Um, I don't know how I've lived in Utah for 35 years and not been into mountain biking, but, uh, it's a blast. So yeah, I've got a lot of things I'd like to do on, uh, my hobbies. Very cool. All right. So thinking about, uh, book recommendations here, thinking about our audience, you know, men, husbands, yeah. and fathers, <clears throat> are there any books that come to mind that you've read that have really impacted you? Yeah. One I read just recently, uh, perfect for this audience. It's called mm -hmm. the way of the superior man by David Dita. Um, it's, uh, he calls, I think, a spiritual guide to mastering the challenges of women, work, and sexual desires. Um, I don't think there's a better book out there right now that I could recommend. Uh, it's had a profound impact on me, for sure. As a awesome. father, as a husband, all of that. Very cool. Very cool. I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to look that one up. Um, Good. I don't know if you're a bucket list guy or not, uh, but if you're not, humor us a little bit. If you had one, what would be something you would have on your bucket list? Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to go swim with the sharks. 
Um, oh, nice. I, I, I'm like one of those great whites, can, like in the cage or like free swim. No, like I want to free swim. Like wow. I want to be right there next to him. So there you go. Um, I think that's something that's coming up this next year, but it's, I'm one of those guys, like if I'm in the water and something touches me and I don't see it, I, I get out of the water really fast. Like I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared of that unknown under the water. It could be in a lake, whatever. It could be a twig. Uh-huh. But I'm like terrified. I want to face that and just go swim with those beautiful creatures. So, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and if you could share a meal with anybody in the world, so you're going to have a chance to sit down with somebody, enjoy a couple courses, maybe a couple <clears throat> glasses of wine, maybe a couple bottles, whatever, whatever you're into. Um, so you're going to have some time to really sit and pick somebody's brain apart and chat with them. Who would that person be? You know, I'm going to answer this question different than I think uh, most people do or what you're probably expecting. Um, I and, and this comes because of yesterday. Literally yesterday, I sat down and I had lunch with one of my dear friends. And um, in that lunch, we talked about what's going on in the world today, mm-hmm. uh, what our fears are, what we're excited about, what our challenges are. And also like gave each other some feedback. And there was literally just like total openness, um, and, and love, but also like a kick in the nuts, uh, mm-hmm. for like what ways we could be better. Um, specifically my friend speaking to me of like, here's some stories that I see you're, you're addicted to, and you need to rewrite those stories. And so I, you know, my answer to that question of somebody I'd want to have lunch with is that archetype, that type of person, somebody that I can be completely open with, I can be myself mm-hmm. and we can, we can just share what's like true and honest and like on our, on our minds and our hearts at that time. I think that'd be the most fulfilling thing. And I'm just grateful that I have those kind of friends that I can do that. Um, obviously as a spiritual man, I'd love to sit down with Christ and have lunch, you know, and, and things like that. But based on the experience I had yesterday, that's how I'm going to answer the question today. I think that's, that's something I'm super grateful for. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great answer. And I think that's something that as men, we're not generally great at doing, like it can be challenging to be in a yeah. position to where we're going to say, Hey buddy, I got to tell you about some things that are going on in my mind and really have an open and raw uh, discussion about that. So, um, can I pry on that a little bit? Like, how did, how did that happen? I guess, like, is that something that you like intentionally went into the conversation thinking, Hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Or is this more Mm -hmm. like, let's just let it, let's just let it roll and, you know, see what goes. Literally it was like, Hey, I, I, uh, I thought I saw my friend somewhere and I was like, Hey, you want to go grab lunch? And he's like, Oh, that's not me. Um, I'm at home having lunch. Um, he's like, but if you're in the neighborhood, let's link up and just showed up at his house. I literally was just planning on having lunch, catching up with a friend, hadn't, hadn't talked to in a while. Um, but that's where the conversation morphed and that's where it went. And, and I, you know, I'm, I understand how rare that is, um, mm-hmm. in the world today, but that's not rare amongst uh, my tribe of friends. And so I'm just extremely <laughs> grateful that that's just what it is. Like, we don't just talk surface level, like, Oh, Hey, what's the weather? Like, Oh, do you see, you know, the football game this weekend? Like yep. it's, it's like real raw. What's going on? How's your family? Like we are, yeah. they know my wife, they know my kids. I know them, you know, his wife even came and involved the conversation for a moment and gave some of her perspective and feedback to my thing. Like it's not something that just randomly came up, but it's the kind of people that I'm, I'm surrounding myself with. And so, yeah, I, I'm, that's why I'm so fired up about it. It's just a, it's a, it's something that I have right now in my life that I've never had in the past. And I'm really grateful for it. That's so cool. And, I, and I'd have to imagine, you know, going into that, you are leading from the front and being, being willing to be honest with people, totally. not, not flexing totally. on people. You know what I mean? I think there's totally. a lot of that when a lot of quote unquote friendships uh, that a lot of people have. So, you know, I would just throw that out there for anybody listening. Like, if you feel like you're missing that, like 
take the first step, like be honest, like drop the guard, put your ego down, like have a real conversation with somebody. Yeah. What's, what's the thing that's the most trustable to you is probably somebody who trusts you and shares things with you. And so (laughs) that's reciprocated when you do it. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely great advice. Awesome. All right. So let's get into it a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about your story. So I want to go all the way back. If you don't mind telling us a little bit about your childhood, you know, what kind of kid you were, what you were into family dynamics, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So family, I grew up in Utah. Um, uh, Both parents in the home loved each other, displayed that to us. Um, They valued hard work. Um, uh, It was very high up there as teaching us to work hard. Um, Also teaching us to to be that kid that when there was a kid sitting alone or a new kid in the school or somebody who didn't look the same as us to be the one to go up and be friends with them. Mm-hmm. That was the, that was like something that our parents really instilled to us. Um, and I have five, there's five kids. I'm the second oldest. I've got a older sister, three younger sisters and a younger brother um, who I, I think is 12 years younger than me. And gotcha. so um, grew up in a middle-class home and we, uh, you know, as a kid, me, I, my nickname was gibbers, um, because I was just always talking <laughs> and I got into a lot of trouble for just talking too much, uh, in school and in sports. Like mm-hmm. I just, I was always talking, I was known for, I was a catcher in baseball and I was behind the plate and, uh, you know, not very often do you have somebody trash talking from the catcher's position with the hump right behind you, the guy up. And I'm like, Oh man, that one was inside. Hopefully that one doesn't, next one doesn't hit you. Or, Oh man, you can't see that fastball. Can you, or, Oh, you know, like I'm talking behind the plate and, and, uh, I was, you know, I think I was termed, you know, a punk catcher, but, um, I was just feisty and competitive and wanted to win and, and, and had a loud mouth and it got me in trouble, but also served me. I was, I was a sales guy from a young age. I was that kid that in school when, when, uh, you know, there was a fundraiser, um, and you know, the crappy prize was like, you get a pencil, a number two pencil with a cool eraser. And Uh the great prize was like the fireball yo-yo that you could like rock the cradle and do all that stuff with. I was set out to go get that, that fireball, you know, I wanted to be able to have the coolest prize. So I'd go knock doors in my neighborhood and sell the chocolates and, and, uh, crush all the records and everything else. So, that was, that was me. I, you know, I, it, I had some qualities that really served me and others that got me into some trouble. And, uh, you know, funny story on that. Like when I was shoot third grade, I was arrested for the first time. Um, wow. I, uh, I was always seeking adventure. Uh, uh-huh. my friend and I were out playing around and we were bored and we found some smoke bombs and we're like, we were lighting smoke bombs. We were rolling them down the street. We thought they were cool. I don't know how it escalated from like just rolling down the street to, we thought it'd be funny to go and put the smoke bomb inside somebody's car if, if their car door was open <laughs> and light it and then hurry and ring their doorbell and then go and hide and watch them think that their car was on fire because there was smoke in there. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for us, like there's actually flame that comes out to create that smoke, which at third grade we didn't understand. And we caught a car on fire, got arrested <laughs> and got taken home in a cop car, like third grade. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was, one of many stories of like, I was bored, wanted an adventure, wanted something exciting and a uh, little misdirected and it, it got me in some trouble. So yeah. gotcha. So a thrill yeah. seeker from a young age. And it uh, sounds like you were an entrepreneur from the jump too. So I guess we can kind of take it from there. Like, did you always know that that was the path you were going to take when you got older or did you kind of stumble into that? Uh, I'd say both. Um, I think it was the only thing I knew that I could do. 
but I didn't know it's what I was going to do. I had a father that was an entrepreneur and he was so uh, set on me going to school, get an education. He's like, be a doctor, be a lawyer. You don't want- <laughs> Don't do to, what like, I did. Don't do what I'm doing. <laughs> like I dropped out of college and like, this is, you don't ever turn off work. It's nonstop. And I saw that, like he, mm-hmm. he was traveling a ton and, and work never, there was no clocking out for him. And I think that's yep. what he wanted for me. Um, but, at, but like all growing up, I was that kid that was like, I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer. I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. I can't memorize things. I can't focus. Like I, I just couldn't pay attention long enough to know. And, and, uh, and I don't think I also grasped that like the, the gibbers, the, the guy who was talking so much and whatever, mm-hmm. that that was a skill set, and that that translated into, you know, entrepreneurial communication, sales, influence, whatever leadership. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't realize that at a young age, but as I grew, I started to see that and, um, you know, it ended up being the path that became very, very clear to me later on. No doubt about that. I mean, so considering that, can you tell us the story, I guess the, the high level sequence of events, and I know this is like a 10 year story, so we don't, we don't need the, the details, but high level, you know, how you started your company and then how we get to the exit and then maybe where we are today for you. Cool. Yeah. So starting the company, I, um, I came home from serving a mission for my church, two years, knocking doors, committed, preaching the gospel, um, trying to convince people to give up, you know, all these, these things that they were doing in their life, habits, all the fun stuff, give up 10% of their income, you know, come follow Christ. And that was a hard sell. Um, That's a tough I sell. Home, I came home from that and like, I immediately, I felt comfortable knocking doors. And so mm-hmm. I got recruited by a brother-in-law to come knock doors, started knocking on doors, selling satellite internet phone and tv services so um it was it was fascinating to me right when i started though i got into doors so much easier i was like wow people care way more about their tv than they do about god but okay um <laughs> and i uh, got in got a lot more doors had some success right out of the gate and, and that really intrigued me i you know coming home as well from that mission I, my mind was open to like anything's possible because i saw people give up things and sacrifice things and change their lives and it really just instilled in me like hey you want something you go get it you can you can change your path in in a in a heartbeat and so sky's the limit mentality started out as a as a sales rep for this company became a sales manager a regional manager um and within about a year uh, i had 60 guys five managers underneath me went out for the summer um learned a ton that summer uh there was a lot we grew the train past the train tracks operations wasn't there to support it the company wasn't ready and, and at the time I thought it was just the company's fault, but I've, I've come to learn as an entrepreneur, like there's things that I could have, I grew too fast. I wasn't ready. There's things I didn't know that, that didn't prepare me to be as good of a leader as I could have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, started the summer with 60 sales reps, finished the summer with 12, had horrible retention. Oh, the only people that stuck around was my family and friends, um, cousin, sister. I mean, um, they were the ones that stuck it out with me. And at the end of the summer, um, I decided, Hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to continue on this path, which I see the opportunity, if I'm going to continue on this path, I've got to have more control over the outcome. Um, I'm putting my name on the line and my reputation on the line. I've got to mm-hmm. control the outcome. And so I decided to leave the company and start my own. Um, and, uh, with the goal, you know, as a sales guy, I wanted to go and, and run as fast as I could, but I had just got my, my licking my wounds from, from that previous summer and yep. decided we need to grow <laughs> slow and we need to be intentional and, and make sure that we get the train tracks ahead of the train. And so started, you know, this was 18 months after I started in the cells, started my own company in 2009. And um, uh, me and my brother-in-law started the company. We were wearing every single hat. 
Uh, we'd go out, knock the door, sell the account. Then we'd order the equipment, uh, get the equipment ordered, get a technician to go install it. When somebody would call in, we'd answer the phone in a different voice as customer service. It's like <laughs> we were, we were just like that's crazy. Bootstrap a bootstrap the business to just learn the business and make sure that we could we could fulfill what we were going to go and invite other people to take part in. And then, you know, year one went out and did about a thousand accounts, um, just over just about a million dollars in revenue year one, um, and then grew every single year over the previous year for 10 straight years. Um, And uh, at our height had about 400 people working for us. Um, Yeah, it was a great, great run great opportunity, um, grew as a leader, had a lot of incredible leaders and an incredible team in order to make that possible. Um, had a lot of fun, learned a lot. Also realized that I'd gotten to a place where I was pretty comfortable. I'd, you know, been preaching to guys, Hey, go, um, keep pushing one more door, you know, do the thing. Don't, don't settle. Mm-hmm. And, um, until it got to the point where, um, I was out of the business, I didn't realize that I had kind of, I was in a, I was really comfortable and, and, um, they're, they're, you know, uh, we end up selling to one of our, um, one of our competitors mm-hmm. wasn't really something that we were planning. We had been in negotiations to sell for the previous three years. The deals didn't make sense based on our growth trajectory, mm-hmm. but, um, our, our main vendor came to us and said, Hey, we have a, a, a goal to, um, consolidate the door to door space. And we want you to merge with number one. We are number two. They want us to merge with number one. And we're like, what if we don't like, they're like, well, then we'll find a way to terminate you kind of just like <laughs> really pressured us into it. So, it was, yeah. you know, it was a kind of a forced acquisition um, at the time. It was really stressful and frustrating, but ended up being uh, an incredible blessing uh, for us. Uh, just was burnt out, ready for a change, ready for something different, um, had stories about why, you know, that was all I knew how to do. I couldn't do anything else, but jumped right into the next thing and, and, um, started doing some consulting and, um, that led me to doing some, some coaching, um, doing some inv- more investing, hands-on investing and started yep. learning about buying businesses and selling businesses. And that's kind of what took me to where I am today. And, and I'm just grateful for that journey. I learned a ton and, and have, have no regrets. That's awesome. That's a heck of a ride in, in, uh, in the span of about a decade. So I want to start peeling back here. Can you tell us a little bit about where in that story you met your now wife and maybe how you guys met. Yeah. So 2009, I started uh, knocking doors um, to, or sorry, 2009 is when I started my own company. Mm-hmm. 2008 is when I started knocking doors. And then I met her in 2011. So two years after starting the business. Um, uh, and sorry, what was the rest of that question? So I guess, yeah. So where she came in the story, how you guys met. And then I, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about you know, maybe when you got married from then on, how, how your relationship went, maybe in parallel with the business and, and what that was like, because I know you had to be hustling during that time. So yeah. kind of managing the relationship at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I met her, uh, my parents were speaking in, in church and they happened to be speaking in the, the congregation where she was visiting her parents when she was home for college. And um, uh, how I met her, I walked in, I saw her. And I was sitting in front of where she was, but I did this whole thing where I pretended I was stretching the oh, entire time. That's slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it about 30 times though. So it wasn't very slick and um, she noticed it. And, uh, you know, after after the, the congregation uh, adjourned, I was like walking back to go talk to her and she was standing right next to her mom in the hall. And I was like, how do I approach a girl with her mom right there? And so 
I was like, I got cold feet and I didn't like, I, I hate to admit this, but I didn't go up and approach her. I left, um, on my way out. I did. I awkwardly went up and shook her dad's hand. And I was like, hi, I'm Jeremy Nevis. I'm Mark and Cheryl's son. And, and he was probably like, why is he introducing himself to me? But I, I don't know. I guess I was planting seeds already. Yeah. Um, I left and, um, then the next Sunday I went over to my parents' house for dinner and my parents were like, Hey, this, this guy came up to us at church today. And he said, Hey, I don't usually do this, but my daughter's never asked me to before. Here's her number. She wants your son to ask her out. And I was <laughs> no like, way. all right. So I guess it wasn't very subtle, but it worked. <laughs> and uh, she saw that I saw her and she was interested too. And so it was the first time I ever started out a relationship where I had, you know, knowledge that the other person was, you know, interested in me just from what they had seen. So it was cool. Um, That's a confidence boost for sure. Oh, total confidence yeah. <laughs> boost. So, and I fell head over heels. I, I think it was like after the second date, I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Um, she wasn't, my wife wasn't as, as certain at that point. Um, I got like, I think it was three months later, I was ready to propose. So she like got scared. She broke up with me. We were broken up for like three months. And uh, I thought the world was going to come to an end. And then she came back and I made her work to get me back because I was so hurt and uh, she came back in and we ended up getting married about a year after we had initially met. So it was pretty fast. Wow, that's awesome. Break up in the middle. Yeah. Um, so 2012, we get married. Business is three years in. Mm-hmm. Um, year one, I went out and I worked out, you know, we were primarily summer sales. Mm-hmm. 90, 80% of our revenue came from, from May through September. And um, wow. so I, I went out, was knocking doors and, and, uh, 2010, 2011, I was out there half the year, 2012, when we get married. I need to be out there for about two months. I had managers in place, but I was out there at the very beginning of the summer. She traveled with me. We drove across the country to Indiana. Um, our apartment was also where we stored our inventory. We had an air mattress cause I was cheap. Um, we had an air mattress in the, in the bedroom and I got internet. And so she literally would watch Netflix while I'd go train the guys and knock doors and and mm-hmm. just be involved in all that. Come home, she'd have dinner ready for me, and and uh, we'd hang out at the night. Um, every once in a while, she'd come out and she'd knock doors with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we spent months on the road, and then came back home. and And the next year, it was you know, and obviously recruiting season all in between uh, the summer programs. So going to events, uh, doing a bunch of different vacations with guys and things like that, just whining and dining. Um, so it was it was tough to get married right at that time to be mm-hmm. in that phase where it was very hands-on, very involved. And she came right along, played whatever role she needed to friends with the other wives coming on these vacation trips, letting me go on these, these trips, uh, having a bunch of fun, going to super bowls, things like that. Yep. And she's just, you know, my new wife at home, like, when is this going to slow down? And I swear every year it was like, Hey, but this year, this next year, once we get through this, it's going to be different. And the next yep. year it was just a whole new set <laughs> of challenges and problems and growing pains. And, uh, she's like, I'm never listening to you say next year is going to be different ever again. I was like, yeah, I think I've come to realize like, it's never going to be different. It's going to be different, but it's not going to be what we think it's going to be. So, yeah, yeah. well, that's so cool. So, so if you think about, I guess let's, let's move forward, fast forward to, to where we stand today. I know you guys have a couple of kiddos at home thinking about your wife. Can you talk to us a little bit about, uh, the roles that she plays for your family and maybe yeah. how you support her in that role? Yeah, she's an incredible mom. So she's, she's a stay at home mom full-time takes care of both the boys, um, you know, running them from activities and, and, uh, taking care of all the, all the super hard stuff. And I know because, uh, you know, at times she's 
going out on girls trips or wants to go on a personal, she's got back from a, a women's retreat. And oh, um, cool. I had the boys for four days. So how do I support her is I try and encourage her to go and do the things that she's super passionate about. She loves working out um, and um, going to the gym with her friends and, and having girls nights and going on these personal development treats and things like that. And whenever that comes up, I do my best to clear my schedule and be home and make it easier for her to just go. And I spent four days with the boys changing diapers, feeding the, the baby every three hours, waking up in the middle of the night, getting, mm-hmm. getting them off to school, getting their hair done. Like, I, uh, after four days, like I'll take my job every single day. Like I'm ready to go back to work, you know? <laughs> um, but she's a homemaker. She, she keeps our house looking incredible. She's, you know, there's a great energy here. Um, uh, you know, she cooks for us and, and does all the shopping, takes care of, she takes care of everything. Um, and, uh, and, and I just transport her by doing my role the best that I can and, and providing, providing and, and, uh, supporting her when she has things that she's passionate about with the boys. And, and obviously, spending a lot of time with them when I can. Man, I hope everybody just heard you say that men need to support their wives going out and doing the things that are important to them. Because I think as men, it's we take advantage having something else outside of the home that we that we're pursuing. You know, if you just think about traditional family, um, not to stereotype, but just traditionally, that's typically what you see more often than not. and, and to your point, I mean, you spend four days at home and it's you with just you versus the kids. Yeah. There's a whole new level of appreciation and gratitude when mom comes home. That's a, that's a whole different ball game. So I also encourage yeah. anybody else, if you've never done that, like if you've never had your kids for a week by yourself, like buy your wife a plane ticket, something like take that on. Cause that to me, man, that's like going down, that's in the trenches and talk about a bond you forge with your kids that it's just different than you're going to get doing anything else, man. Um, 100%. So yeah, commend you for, for, uh, for doing that. That's, that's awesome to hear. Hey guys, quick edit here. I was listening back to the episode and I realized that I misspoke a little bit right here and I don't want to take too much credit. I have never actually bought Leslie a ticket um, to just go away for the week. Never done that. That would be awesome. I have taken care of the kids on long weekends and things like that if she's out um, on a trip with friends, but just wanted to make sure I didn't want to take too much credit here where it is undue. So anyway, back to it. So, uh, what is the, what does date night look like for you guys these days? Once a week, uh, usually Friday or Saturday, sometimes that gets changed around, but we're intentional about going out, making sure we spend time, whether it's going to a dinner, going to dinner in a movie, mm-hmm. just going out to dinner, um, going on a walk, going to a sporting event, a concert. Um, yep. you know, we, we enjoy all those different things, but we, you know, try and do something where we at least once a week, get out of the house and, and go have dinner together and catch up and, and connect. So. Very cool. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. I'd love to hear you speak about your kids. Um, tell us a little bit about maybe, you know, their names, ages, that kind of stuff, what they're into, anything that you're comfortable sharing with us. Cool. Yeah. So two, two boys, uh, Nixon is five. Um, he, uh, is actually six next month. Um, he loves a, a ton of things right now. He loves Legos um he loves disneyland he loves mickey and minnie and and all the disney uh all the disney princesses he's big into he's big into rapunzel right now it used to be <laughs> it used to be elsa but now it's rapunzel nice. um he also loves basketball he's he's been in basketball uh going to basketball for six months now loves it he's a great swimmer um and also gymnastics so he's super well-rounded he loves what he loves super kind heart um, 
great at speaking to people, introducing himself to, to strangers and like making friends. It's one of the things That's I love awesome. the most about him. Um, and he loves his little brother. Uh, we just adopted um, a, a new newborn baby. He's four months old now. His name's Baylor. Um, nice. And Baylor loves to sleep, eat, cry, and poop. <laughs> that's what he's into right now yeah do you mind uh so i'm super interested in the adoption story so my wife and i are actually in the process in the adoption process right now ourselves so we started you know started paperwork back in december we've been live since march april ish so we've been seeing cases and i know it's i know it because i'm in it right now i know what the process is like um you know it's a it's a roller coaster i always say it's a it's a fight between your head and your heart and then you fall in love and then you get told no and then you kind of do it again Mm -hmm. um so that that's where we're at right now i'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about what your journey was like man i feel for you bro i just want to give you a hug right now (laughs) like i know where you are and i know how hard that is and those that like don't know it's, it's wild. It's, it's an emotional roller coaster. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but for us, our, our journey started years ago. Um, you know, right after we had our kid, right after we had Nixon, um, we got pregnant and Mm -hmm. we got excited about that and about having another child, but we were also kind of like, wow, that was faster than we thought. And then we, we lost the child and miscarried him and it was devastating. We didn't understand it. And we're like, Oh man, we really do want another child now. And so we went to work for trying to have another child, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, we, we went through four miscarriages and, and five years or all three, three or four, four years of, of that. And, um, we started talking about, you know, we started talking about adoption about three years ago and, and, um, and we always knew we wanted to adopt, but we Mm -hmm. didn't know that it would come now. We thought we'd have our kids uh we'd have three or four kids and then later on um after that we'd adopt a couple mm-hmm. um and uh when this happened we're like hey now is now's the time and so um we went through that same process of getting approved getting home study and everything else there yeah. was some things that had happened uh, that delayed that and caused that to take longer and uh that process was you know just there was just these one more thing and one more thing and it was kind of mm-hmm. discouraging when we're like ready to get going once we went live, um, we said yes to 25 babies that didn't work out. Um, and, um, you know, for somebody who hasn't been through this, you get a, a case that's sent to you and uh, file and, you know, one or two pages of information about the birth mom and their family and their history and their medical and, and their situation. And, and for our, in our case, we had, you know, less than 24 hours most times to respond yes or no, yep. uh, whether we wanted to present to that, um, present to them and, We'd say yes, and then we'd wait, and we'd you know then get a response back. And two and a half years uh, was the process from start to finish um, on this uh, adoption journey of starting the paperwork to once we found and matched with somebody. And what's crazy is we had worked with two different agencies for two and a half years all over the United States, um, all over the nation. We were getting files from all over all over in different states, um, and um, and I just. We were at Disney World or we were somewhere and I, I'm pretty sure it was Disney World. My, I turned to my wife and I said, hey, I have the strongest feeling that we need to just go post this on social media and see if we can find someone ourselves. We had originally not wanted to do that for some various kind of weird reasons. And I look back now, but they were they were real to us at the time. Mm-hmm. And she said, I support you if that's what you what you want. And it was kind of like a Hail Mary because we were at the point where we were kind of like, why are we doing this? And um, kind of discouraged. We put it on social media 
And, you know, between us and our friends, it got shared like 2,500 times. There was over a hundred thousand views in one wow. day. The next day, um, one of, uh, somebody who lives 20 minutes from us here in our state messaged us and said, Hey, I'm pregnant and I'm looking to give up my baby for adoption. I'd love to meet you guys. Wow. And we're like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> And we're like, now what? What do we do now? We don't know. We haven't done, done this, gotten this far. So um, we just reached out and said, wonderful. We'd love to meet you, take you to dinner. Um, if you want to bring your mom or somebody else, like we'd love to meet you. So we took her to dinner the next, uh, the next week and um, met, her, met her, met her mom, asked a ton of questions, answered a ton of questions, um, found out that she was talking to another family as well. I think two other families at the time. And um, she wanted to make a decision um, between, between the three. And, um, we courted her, we took her out to dinner or to lunch, um, every week, once a week for a mm -hmm. uh, couple months. And, um, and then one day, one day we came home and she showed up at our house, oh man, with a gift basket, <laughs> you get emotional here with yeah. a gift basket, with a blanket and a teddy bear and, and the most beautiful letter, um, just telling us that she, she had chose us, uh, to, uh, place her baby with us and, and that she trusted us and, uh, that she loved us and that she felt like this was a perfect, uh, home for her baby. And, uh, it was just the most beautiful thing to just feel that, um, sacrifice and love that a mother had for her baby and that she, she would entrust that into us. And it was just a powerful experience. Um, I was in March and, um, baby was due in June, but he came six weeks early and was born, uh, May 7th and, um, was in the NICU for a couple weeks. And, and, uh, you know, it was a crazy time as I, like I share that, but I get up to the birth and, you know, she had chose us. Everything was good. We were, we were excited. The relationship was incredible. We felt like she was like a little sister to us. Um, we wanted to have an open adoption. We welcomed her in our home. Mm -hmm. We had introduced her to our son and, um, and he was excited to be a big brother and, and would hug and kiss the baby's belly, baby, the belly every single time she left. And, and, um, and then we got to the birth and it was like hectic because she wasn't ready. Like it was six weeks early and, mm -hmm. and um, COVID was going on. So they were only allowing two people into the hospital. So she had her person and she chose my wife to be the other, and I wasn't going to be able to be in there and a whole other story, but I moved heaven and hell to actually like work my way into the hospital, go to like five levels of, of management to get approval, special approval. And, and I was able to actually go in there and meet him as soon as he came out after she had an emergency C-section um, and, uh, and spend some time with him. But, you know, what, the way that the adoption process works is like, at least in our state, once the birth mom has the baby, um, she can't sign away her rights to the baby for 24 hours. Some states it's yep. 72, but here it's 24. And she had been through counseling and everything and had a plan that she was going to do that 24 hours after. And um, 24 hours came and went. Uh, 48 hours came and went. 72 hours came oh, and went. And he's, he's in the NICU. And so um, he can't like, he's not like going home. So it made it harder for her to make that decision. And then there was a day where um, uh, she had a little bit of a meltdown and like all the emotions hit her, uh, the medicine had worn off. And I happened to be, I happened to be in the NICU holding him at the time. And um, she lost it. She called the social worker and I had somebody come over 
one of the head nurses come over, take the baby out of my hands and escort me out of the hospital. Oh and um, it, it crushed me. <laughs> like I, uh, I went home and just went crazy on my, my boxing bag. I fell to the ground in tears. My wife came home and found me just in a puddle of tears in my basement. And um, she, I just, I, I felt the loss that I'd felt four times before with every miscarriage. And I felt the baby being taken away from me. And I was just terrified. Like uh, I tried to have hope and, and believe and trust in everything that we had and, and be aware of what she was going through, which I was keenly aware. This was the hardest decision any human would ever have to make in their life. A mother has to process basically the loss of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was keenly aware of that, but my experience was like, I was, how am I going to tell my five-year-old <clears throat> that he's not going to be a big brother right now? Um, if that's what this means. Right. And, um, it was hard from that moment when the baby was taken, she went dark and didn't respond to us for, I think four days, no text response, no hospital wow. asked us to stay away from the hospital. And, um, that was the hardest four days probably of my entire life. Uh, and then she came back and, and we started talking again. And it was uh, at day 10, day 10, she came up to us and said, Hey, I just want to let you guys know that I, I signed the paperwork <laughs> and oh it goodness. was like just the roller coaster. I mean, the emotions, <laughs> I was like, Holy cow. And just, we broke down and we're so excited and, and, um, and, uh, was all worth it in the end. And, and, uh, we were able to bring him home, I think a week later, um, bring him home and, and our son was able to meet him and our family was able to meet him. And, and it was just all worth it. Worked out exactly as it needed to. And there was a ton of lessons in there, but it was, it was super dramatic. As you can tell, very, very emotional. My goodness, man, that's just an Um, unbelievable story. I mean, the, the faith that you would have to be leaning on through all that and, and I'm just, I'm imagining sitting in that position and I've, I've got four and two year old boys right now and I know how excited they are and we're not even close to match. Like I can't imagine getting to that point and then having to look them in the eye and say, you know, this isn't going to happen right now. And then it come back and it's just, man, that's unbelievable. Um, what, a, what, a, what a test and testament um, to your faith there. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a test. So it sounds like um, so, I'm probably at the beginning of this roller coaster. I'm not nearly maybe, as far along as not, I think. And maybe, and maybe not though. Like I've heard a lot of stories of people that here's the thing about the adoption is when it happens, it happens fast, right? Like when somebody's like, Hey, I, you're the one you match. It's like, it gets very real, very fast. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've seen some cases where it's like the baby's due next week. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, let us know. Yes. It's, it'll be like 2 p.m. Let us know by 3.30. And I'm like, yeah, in the middle of work, like, I got to go. I got to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just got to you just got to you got to show up to it. And and so um, just trust the timing, man. Like I I can I there's miracle after miracle after miracle. I know that the 25 we said yes to were not supposed to be our baby. They were not supposed to be in our home. We weren't supposed to raise. I wasn't supposed to be their dad. Um and the, the birth mom was not the right birth mom. You know, when my mm-hmm. wife and I started this journey, we went to an adoption class and they, they had a panel of um, children that had been adopted and we got to ask them questions. So adopted children, parents that had um, adopted children, and we got mm-hmm. to ask them questions. And then the, the most powerful was the mothers who had given up for adoption. Wow. And it broke my heart to sit in front of these three birth moms 
who all had different paths and different stories and reasons, but not one of them wanted to do that. They wanted to keep that baby. It's a natural instinct and, and motherhood and nurturing. Like they don't want to have to do that. And it's a tough decision. And it's one of the most loving decisions they could ever make. And when I walked out of there, I turned to my wife and I said, if we're not willing to do an open adoption, we can't do adoption. I can't do adoption. And she said, I agree. Um, we've got to, I arguably we can make a greater impact in the life of the birth mom than we can in, in some child that we raise. And so we really wanted the right birth mom. And what's crazy is that Alyssa is everything we had imagined. And she still comes over once a week, visits the baby. Um, awesome. More importantly, has a relationship with us and we're a part of her life. And she confides in us with what's going on for her. And we get to help have an impact in, in, in her journey going forward. And that's that was, you know, a testament that this is exactly how it needed to work out. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, when I read these cases, I mean, it's, that is to me, the most heartbreaking part is trying to really put myself in the shoes of the moms, really trying to empathize and it's impossible to do it, but just really trying to imagine what that feeling is like and truly appreciating the miracle and the gift that, you know, I know it's going to be when it happens. And, uh, to your point too, we're kind of, we're hoping for the same thing and hoping we can have a relationship, um, down the line and, you know, for the same reasons that you said, uh, but I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, it's, uh, it means a lot to hear that, uh, coming from you as well. And, um, man, thank God that your story worked out the way that it did. That's, it's incredible. I know now to be sitting where you are looking back and, and telling that story. Um, and I know it's probably hard to tell it as well, but, um, yeah. I'm super, super grateful that it worked out, um, this way for you. So as we, as we work on winding things down, <clears throat> One of the last questions that I usually ask our guests. Um, so thinking about your kids, your relationship with your kids, you know, I always say that God willing, our kids are going to grow up. We're going to grow old. And one day we're going to, we're going to leave them behind on this planet. God willing, like I said. And um, when I think about what legacy means to me, I think about the little moments, the little memories, the lessons, the experiences that, uh, you know, that we leave behind with our children for them to remember us by and to, to live their life, you know, with, you know, in their pocket. So if you think about that, put yourself in that position, what do you want your kids to remember about their dad? Yeah. Um, I want them to know that dad showed up, um, that I showed up. I, I, I was there, I was present. I was there for them, that I was approachable, um, that they could always come to me. Um, the way that I showed up, um, with an open heart, with an open mind, um, willing to, to learn. And, and, and most importantly, that I love them no matter what. Um, I want them to know that I love them regardless of the mistakes that they make, which they'll make, uh, the decisions that, that are wrong, that they get them off course, that I'm still there, that I still care, that I still love them no matter what. Um, and I, I want them to be instilled with that uh, quality of showing up starting, taking action, um, but showing up in the way that, that you'd be proud of. Um, I also want them to, to speak up. Um, I want them to know and, and see the example of their dad who, who showed up for the things that mattered for his vision, for his goals, for his, his family, for his wife, for his friends, that I was loyal. Um, but I also showed up for my vision and my goals and that I went after it. Um, and then I spoke up for the things that mattered to me. I drew a line in the sand and that I was, I embodied those things. I didn't just say it, but I, but I also lived it. 
And um, if, if my kids could take those two things, I think I'd, I'd feel like I had done a good job. Awesome. I love that answer. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So um, where is the best place? So anybody listening wants to learn more about you, where's the best place for them to go to, uh, to do so? I'm most active on Instagram. So at Jeremy Nevis uh, underscore at the end um, on, uh, on Instagram. And you can engage with me there. I, I respond and I'd love to have you. Awesome. Yeah, I can, I can test to that. That's how this conversation happened. Shot your DM and you got right back to me. Um, so awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an incredible conversation. It's kind of funny. I'm thinking back now. We started the conversation thinking about uh, opening up, having a vulnerable conversation with a friend, and then hearing you tell your story, especially about the adoption. Like, I'm just speechless, man. It's so cool. Oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, thanks again for your time. Um, I'll look forward to keep in touch with you. Um, appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. Absolutely, bro. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.